Choke points. Let's go. Is it time to get rid of the free right turn on red? The legislature is looking at a way to make streets safer. It's now targeted right on red. Let's go to Chris. And free right turns on red lights could go away in most places in the state next year if this bill becomes law. A free right turn, of course, is where you stop your car completely at a red light and then proceed to the right once it is safe to do so. You are allowed to do this at pretty much any intersection in the state unless it's posted that you can't. State Senator John Lovick is the sponsor. This simple change will make intersections safer for children, seniors, and other pedestrians at a time when traffic violence is at a three-decade high. A free right turn would be prohibited within 1,000 feet of an elementary or secondary school, a child care center, a public park or playground, a recreation center or facility, a library, a public transit center, a hospital, a senior center, or any other facility with high levels of pedestrian traffic as determined by the appropriate local jurisdiction or WASDOT. Now, why did I read all of those locations in the bill? Because I can't think of any other intersection in the state that doesn't violate one of those. In other words, this things. would apply everywhere. Just about. I mean, yeah. I mean, anybody could say within a thousand feet. I mean, if you've got an in-home daycare center in your neighborhood that's got a light there, someone could argue, mm-hmm. well, you know, maybe there are a lot of people walking around there. So we don't have to figure this out for ourselves. There'll be signs, right? Well, I'll get into that in a minute okay. uh, because, yes, there would be. But uh, I don't know how we're going to pay for that. We'll get to that in a minute. So, yeah, basically, this covers every intersection. And so here's Senator Lovick again. Prohibiting this traffic action in local with high occurrences of people walking and biking with specific focus on children, senior citizens, and transit users is a common sense approach to increasing street safety for those who are most vulnerable to bad traffic outcomes. Stephanie Randolph was on her bike when she was hit by a driver taking a free right turn. I would like you to make it, you know, make a system and make laws that make it harder for people to make mistakes. The person who hit me was just rushing home from work. That was, it was a simple mistake. So please make it so that people can follow the rules and not hurt people accidentally. Senator Lubbock, who, as you know, spent three decades in the state patrol, says many drivers fail to look back to the right when making their turn. I want you guys right now to think about what it is, what you do when you're at that at that intersection. You know, it's something that he's noticed at the intersections that we're looking left. You know, we look right to start, look left, and then we don't look right again, and he thinks that's a problem. Their focus is 100% to the left, and I've actually seen people uh, not necessarily get hit, but almost get hit because the person focuses on the left, 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 and when they see an opening, they're gone. And that's before they look back to the right again to see if someone has walked off the curb in front of them. Now, of course, this legislation does not address people in the crosswalk who entered late or illegally once that don't walk signal flashed or started counting down, though, of course, there is another bill in Olympia that Matt had talked about that would make jaywalking legal. So that would be that's somewhat moot there. Now to the funding. There isn't any uh, attached to this and signs are not free. So here's how it's going to work out right now. If this bill were to pass, the Washington Department of Transportation would have to find the money of which it already has to install the signs for cities with less than twenty seven thousand five hundred people. Cities that are larger than that would have to foot the bill for these signs themselves. So there is, uh, in fact, the, the association representing the cities, their lobbying group down in Olympia is like, listen, can we push this back a little bit uh, until we can get some funding to figure this out? Signs are not cheap. And if we have to put them up at all these intersections, it's going to be kind of expensive, especially for those, you know, that if you're just above twenty seven thousand, maybe up to fifty thousand, you know, it's going to be that's a that's a budget item. So what I want the 
to know right now is that you can hit us up on the state roofing text line 888-973-5476 have your passenger text us or voice to text tell us what you think is it time to get rid of the free right on red okay so what would the default be the the default would be right on red except where you see the sign it would well or? yeah basically it would be now uh, i would say the assumption going forward would be if this were to pass is i wouldn't take a right at all uh until this figured itself out but yeah if i mean if it's not posted right now under current law that you can't do it then you do get a free right if they put yeah. a sign up there that says you can't well then you can't uh, and so I would follow what the signage says, um, because they would have a hard time enforcing something if you were to be ticketed for taking a free right turn. And there's a sign there that d- there is no sign that says it's prohibited. Hmm. I, I don't know. It just sounds confusing. Can you uh, reprogram the traffic lights so you get like a, a blinking yellow right arrow where you're allowed to take a right on red? Well, no, because I think that then gives drivers the sense that they wouldn't have to stop in the first place, right? right. And so uh, there are other issues. I mean, things that they have done uh, around the state, especially here in Seattle, they've adapted signals where they give a jump to the pedestrians and bicyclists, where when the light turns red for you, their walk sign starts for about three seconds before you get the green one way or the other to allow them a little bit more room to get across and to jump the traffic a little bit and so that if you're halfway across the intersection you're a little bit more visible than when you just walk off the curb say and a driver hasn't looked back that that third time so yeah it's it's an interesting way i think what they're trying to do is they're trying to find any way to cut down on the on the deaths on the highways uh i mean 745 people died on our highways not all of them obviously in intersections but uh, i think they're trying to get at that number somehow and they think this might be a quick fix to maybe work on the places where there are driver and pedestrian yeah. interactions right right at intersections. Okay, let's talk about gas prices now. Uh, there is a lawsuit challenging the governor's carbon fees on polluters. And if that were to be upheld then that cuts a lot of funding, right? Yeah, about $17 billion worth. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this suit was filed in Thurston County by the conservative group Citizen Action Defense Fund. Uh, They do a lot of things on behalf of, you know, taxpayers. They they file a lot of suits on on things where where they see, you know, they they think are violations of the law. And it claims in this lawsuit that the $17 billion transportation package passed last session violates the state constitution because it contains things that have nothing to do with transportation. It's the old suit claiming the bill violates the single subject rule of the Constitution. I'm sure you've probably heard this phrase before. It's usually how lawsuits attack initiatives or other bills like that where the bill you know, contains too many things or a ballot title contains too many things and they say people get confused. Basically, to cut to the chase on this, the suit's trying to eliminate these carbon fees that are a massive transportation funding mechanism under this package. Those fees on polluters have already raised the gas price in Washington by more than 20 cents a gallon. Uh, after going into effect earlier this year. And that's the analysis of gas price experts that are comparing our prices to those corresponding up and down the West Coast. But I thought the governor said the gas price rise was baloney and hogwash. Yeah, he did, but he's not necessarily being honest with Mm. the public like he wasn't last year when he said these weren't going to raise the gas prices at all, Uh, Mm. along with all the, you know, Senator Marco Leas and others who told me this would not raise gas prices at all. Mm. Uh, And so the the thing 
basically they say that the carbon fees have nothing to do with transportation, mm-hmm. and so they're asking a superior court judge to throw out the entire transpo package. Uh, the bill sponsors, including Senator Elias, who put this together, believe that it does, uh, you know, is constitutional. And so we'll see where this goes. I mean, these lawsuits over single subject rules uh, never seem to get a lot of traction here and there, but this would be a, a big gut to the transportation package, which obviously there are projects in there that need to get done yeah. and need to get funded. Uh, but in lieu of raising the gas tax, they decided to create these carbon fees, which are somewhat uncharted territory yeah. right now. So uh, we'll see where this goes. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I assume that you'd have to cut those projects or, or do they have the money that they could backfill them with? The no, surplus? not not at all. Not for 17. No, okay. no. I mean, because they didn't raise the gas tax with this and, and the fees. Are, and again, I'm pulling the numbers out of the air out of the 17 billion. I think last year, if I remember correctly, three to four billion worth of transportation funding out of that 17 was related mm-hmm. to the carbon fees. So that would pretty much gut That's it if they were to find this and uh, you know, violates the Constitution. Take you down to Olympia, where some Democrats want to require permits and a safety class before you can buy any firearm. And the other question being considered is, should court records of mentally ill people be part of a background check to buy a firearm? Let's go to Kyra News Radio's Matt Markovich. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Happy Groundhog's Day. And I think this is uh, one of those things that comes up every year like a groundhog. Guns. At yep. the state legislature. Um, and again, this is what the, they're talking about right now, and it's actually passed a very important committee, and that is requiring a permit to purchase firearms and have firearm training and a 10 day waiting period. Um, and there's a background check. All those things are wrapped up in a bill. Some of them that already exist, but the permit, that's brand new. Only 14 states in the country require. <clears throat> Excuse me, a permit to buy a gun. Um, federal law says you don't have to get a permit to buy a gun, but uh, Washington wants to become the 15th state to do that. And uh, right now, you don't even have to. Basically, uh, you just have to be 18 years old to buy a gun. 21 if you're a semi-automatic. If you want to get a semi-automatic rifle and a pistol. Um, it's already passed the Civil Rights and Judiciary Committee six four on a party line vote. In that one, in the testimony, Judy Snyder Wallace of Everett lost her husband to suicide right after he bought and sh- a gun and shot himself. These requirements will make sure that guns don't fall into the hands of dan- dangerous hands, and they will prevent a person in crisis from getting a gun. And basically, Dana Baxter spoke on behalf of a lot of gun owners. She owns this fire-safe shooting range in Vancouver, Washington. Requiring someone to obtain an entirely new permit to purchase a firearm is not only an infringement on our civil rights, but will already make a crippled system even worse. Now, also, this permit would be five years in length. It could cost no more than $25, according to the legislation. And you have to take a gun safety class in order to buy a gun. And you have to take that class every five years as well. Um, She also says the gun safety class needs to be adjusted to and depend on who's taking the class. What I do not agree with is implementing a blanket training requirement that would not be tailored to the needs and specific skill sets of individuals purchasing such firearms. So you have a a gun owner who's been a lifetime gun owner and would have to take a safety class, and they may be even a teacher uh, on how to teach safety Mm -hmm. training, but they still have to take the class. So the class would be a condition of getting that permit then? Yes, it's all a condition of getting the gun. You have to have the permit, the safety class, a background check, and meet the age requirements. 
mm-hmm. and pay your $25. Well, you already have to meet an age requirement, right? And you've got to have yeah. a federal firearm form where you certify that you're not uh, mentally ill, et cetera, et cetera. Would, this, would the permit then, would that incorporate a waiting period as well? Yes, 10 days. So 10-day yes. so waiting 10 period. Days once the, 10 days from the day that the uh, dealer asks for the background check. I see. All right, uh, let's talk about background checks for people who have uh, yeah. mental illness. Yeah, now this is a blending in on this one, uh, so I thought it'd be a nice segue. Uh, what the what the what the thing is now? They're asking the Washington State Patrol wants to go into involuntary treatment records of uh, people who uh, were sent to a place like Western State by a court mm-hmm. because they are mentally they had some mental ill issues, and the law says that you can't possess a firearm. Technically, if you're mentally ill, so what the and why this is the state is asking for this is that in two years the FBI is out of the background check business, so the Washington State Patrol has to take over the background check, and they want to go into these records. Uh, Captain Earl Weaver, of the Washington State Patrol, explains why they're asking for the access. Approximately 165,000 Washington State mental health entries are in the NICS indices. Information that could qualify as a federal prohibitor to possess a firearm. We do not have access currently to that court information. So in that NICS that he's talking about, which is the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, which is what people have to go through to get a gun, it may say that there is a, a mental health condition in with a person, but it doesn't go into whether they were involuntarily treated. Mm-hmm. And he's basically saying 165,000 Washingtonians could be affected by this. And I can tell you, you know, that number may say seem high, but I've been to the ITA court right across the street from Harborview for other stories. That court is going nonstop, two courtrooms every day, about people who need to have involuntary, involuntary treatment for a mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Kristen may and uh, another part of another bill is that it would uh, you go after the juvenile records. The the bill would require the unsealing of juvenile records so that the Washington State Patrol can go into there to see if there's any criminal history there. And, but Kristen Mansfield is a mother of two teenagers and objected because sealed records are supposed to be sealed because it, that the, it would hold the juvenile back as an adult. Um, for any kind of you know bad things they did as a juvenile. Here's what she had to say. It's too open-ended and gives the Washington State Patrol too much access to sealed juvenile records. Okay, but you want to know if, I mean, of course, juveniles can't buy guns anyway, right? No, correct. But if they had a uh, past where maybe they committed a felony or, you know, had something that would flag on a, black, a background check, uh, right now... The, the Washington State Patrol cannot go into a juvenile's sealed record. Uh, Even once they're no act- longer juveniles. So once they get old enough to buy a gun, those records are still sealed from the from the uh, gun shop. Correct. And whatever they did could mark against them from pre- yeah. prevent them from buying a gun as an adult. Why would you want to... I mean, I assume the State Patrol is not going to publish these records in the newspapers. They're just trying to figure out who should have a gun or not, right? Correct and correct and in, and it's very vague right now in terms of the mental illness because you can't own a gun if you are have committed right. uh, you're in an institution and so they want to go one step farther than what is currently allowed in terms of determining whether someone's mentally ill or not and whether they should have a gun. All right, let's talk about this working families tax credit. What's that about? Well, that started like yesterday. The first time you can apply for this. This is a tax credit for low income families. It can go from three hundred to twelve hundred dollars. You can apply for it online. 
you know, just Google uh, Working Families Tax Credit, and the website will come up, and you can apply for it. Um, it this is taken 11 years to get it going, to finally get it funded, and it was this is the first year it's going to be funded, but already Republican Representative Drew Stokesbury has introduced a bill to double that tax credit. Expanded in a admittedly arbitrary way, doubling the income limits and exactly doubling the credit amounts. I'll let you in on a secret. It's, it's a made-up number. <laughs> yeah, so he... He just wants to get it out there because it took 11 years to get the first one through. So yeah. he wants us to say, hey, let's start doubling it out. And he has a point that he says that right now the uh, Washington State has a $4 billion tax revenue surplus going into this legislative session. He would like to see that money get back to middle class and lower income people. And the Democrats uh, want to spend it in other ways. I see. So Democrats are not in favor of this. What, what uh, income levels does this cover? Um, I do not have the exact money amount right now uh but it's um it's not for everybody to, is it? it no no it's definitely not for everybody so if you are middle income and higher obviously you're not gonna yeah. you think about the earned uh income you know, tax i guess credit. it's the earned tax yeah. credit you know it's kind of it's falling what the federal government does with so you'd have to 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 uh, be eligible you'd have to give them a copy of your tax return no you just oh, have right? to apply and, oh and they just believe you I well, I I saw the website and I didn't see it requiring a, a tax return. Oh well, we should check on that because the last time we handed out money without asking questions, <laughs> it went to a lot of people who weren't eligible. Remember that? Yes, I do. Yes, yes, I do. Matt Markovich, thank you, Matt. You're welcome, Dave. Your daily dose of kindness now brought to you by Heritage Homecraft. The National Braille Press in Boston has been ensuring that people who are blind or low vision have access to literacy for years. On this page, it says uh, kids are boarding a school bus is the picture description. They've even earned recognition from multiple first ladies. Brian McDonald, the president and CEO of the Braille National Press, tells WBZ-TV. Braille is literacy by definition for a blind or low vision person. If they don't have that skill, it's hard to learn sentence structure and grammar and, and be- becoming more independent in your life. While they were founded in 1927, they started the children's Braille book club in 1983. Tim Vernon and his family were some of the first members. My parents wanted me to have a library of books similar to my sighted brother and sighted family members and friends who were having a library of printed books. Every month, the book club mails classic children's books to families with custom Braille pages put together by staff and volunteers at the press. I think what's most rewarding now since we've been around so long is that we have parents that grew up with these books. They're reading their sighted children bedtime stories. With the books that Vernon has kept, he's now able to read to his young nephew, a significant milestone. Being able to read with him helps to cultivate and nurture a truly special bond. Vernon said it's always exciting to get a new book in the mail, but children's books aren't all that they do. The National Braille Press is the leading publisher for training materials, informational pamphlets, even tests in Braille for the country. They also print textbooks for, uh, they printed it for Tim when he was in college, so you can become a volunteer too. 748 Seattle's Morning News, and here he is from the Generous List Show, which starts at 9. G Scott. 
George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Uh, what happened in Memphis has, I think, put some new momentum behind that. You've looked it over. You uh, were raised by law enforcement parents. What do you think about it? I think that, and I'm taking the words from my dad's best friend. My dad's best friend was law enforcement for nearly 35 years, and uh, he and I talked uh, about this yesterday. Did Of course, James said you guys wanted to talk about this today. He believes that this will be the real catalyst and real change for law enforcement. He says that um, this is bigger, almost as big as almost Emmett Till in that moment. And here's why he's saying that. First, here's a question for you. Why was Tyree Nichols stopped? We don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you said that. So we'll start there. Initially. It was reckless driving. Mm-hmm. Initially, that was the report by law enforcement. I mean, he was pulled over for reckless driving. Now that has that we don't know now. The fact that there is nothing that we know concrete as to the reason why he was pulled over, stopped in the first place. All we know is what we saw. When you go to George Floyd, even though George Floyd was murdered too in front of us, we know that there are still people to this day. That say things like, well, he was and he had just come and done that and he had went into this store with the counterfeit money and he had done drugs. There's all of these excuses, right, to justify those things. In the case of Tyree Nichols, there is absolutely no justification. And to take it a step further, the people that pulled him over was a specialized unit. Called Scorpions. the Scorpion Unit yeah. that was put together to really go after the the really bad folks, if you will, tough crime and high crime areas. Huh? Scorpion Unit? Pulling over this guy? When I ask you, what did he do? You don't know? So when J.D.'s saying this, he says, now there's he believes that there's really going to be change. They have no choice mm-hmm. because that right there was gross. It, look at usually when things like this happened, it was number one, it was the first time that officers had been fired and charged before the public saw the video. That's that's how bad, that's it, how bad it was. That's right. how bad it was. It's also so bad that the usual suspects that get on my social media that send me messages that says, uh, you, you, you need to wait for the facts or m- maybe there's another side of the story. The same folks that say those things, quiet as a church mouse right now. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it was right there in the open. And the things that have been said in the past that we've been telling you about before there was technology. Right. Yep. Rodney King was the first where you saw it. Well, we know what happened there. Right. Well, Rodney King was speeding and he was on speed and he was on some drugs. So, you know, there were some people that says, well, we kind of understand. And then those officers were acquitted. Here we are 31 years later, 32 years later. Different game. So I'm saying that with hope. I'm saying that with I really trust my dad's best friend when he tells me that. And I think the Sue Rar interview that we had on yesterday that you did yeah. your commentary on, I thought that it was absolutely excellent what she had to say. And the one of the things that I had asked her in that interview, Colleen and Dave, is I had asked her, I said, hey, let me, you know, let me ask you this. I talk to my dad's best friend all the time and and I've talked to other law enforcement officers. It always seems that when you 
law enforcement officers are retired and they're away from law enforcement, mm-hmm. they are better able to talk about being in law enforcement. We need change makers now who are right. in the system who will stand up and say no. And Surar had an amazing answer to that. She says, you know what, G? You're right. That's truth. Usually when we leave, we, we are uh, better able to talk about it. That's because a lot of people in law enforcement, they just want to fit in. Mm. There's a lot of people. You don't want to be the one that, you know, goes against the grain. You don't want to be the one that, the blue shield. That, that, that doesn't get invited to the barbecues. Right. And th- those things happen. And so, uh, more, like you said, we need those people in law enforcement now. But I think that the Tyree Nichols will be the catalyst that law enforcement needs. And, and by the way, law enforcement does need it because there's a lot of good law enforcement officers Absolutely. that get vilified. Because they are attached to some of the bad apples. And like Surar said, there's not bad apples. There's just a bad barrel. Bad barrel, right. Mm-hmm. You can hear the interview uh, on the, the podcast page. The Nursley Show was uh, hour number three yesterday. It was a great interview. Yeah, I, I thought it was, too. Yeah. I thought she was excellent. Thanks, G. Tomorrow, is, tomorrow, can we uh, come on and have some fun? Just, just yeah, let's Friday. do it. Hey, we got you want to eat a 12-egg omelet? <laughs> Sam may have some leftovers <laughs> after this. <laughs> I mean, I do, but my stomach say, ah. Oh, that's right. You're not eating until 4 p.m. now, right? <laughs> my stomach, oh. my, my stomach say, mm-mm. The new, the new plan. The new Sliver G. Dramatic 911 calls are revealing more about the Yakima shooting that left three people and the shooter dead. Kyra News Radio's Heather Bosch is here with the recordings. Police say witnesses in this case were not only providing vital information, they were courageous. It happened just 10 days ago, early in the morning at a Circle K convenience store. This woman telling a 911 operator. I literally walked out of the store. And a guy walked in and shot everybody inside the store. Police say 21-year-old Jared Haddock killed two people in the store and then fatally shot a man in the parking lot. Haddock fled the scene but ended up outside a Target. That's where he borrowed this woman's phone to call his mother. He just borrowed my phone to call his mom to tell him he's going to kill himself. And she told police he made a confession. And then he got off the phone. He goes, I'm sorry. He goes, I have to tell you this. He goes, I'm the one that shot some people this morning. Investigators were able to track down Haddock. They found him dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Little is known about a motive, though Haddock's mother says he was a meth user whose habit had gotten worse. He'd been acting, she describes it as crazy, and he had guns. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. You can hear us live every morning on 97.3 FM or subscribe to this podcast and you'll never miss the show.